Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati. This is episode five, the Apple Watch edition. I'm Alex Robinson from Atomic Robot. I'm Alex Argo from A-Star Software. And I'm Sam Corder from Pinnacle Solutions Group. So, well, guys, welcome. Guess you guys have all seen the keynote today. Something happened today? What? <laughs> well, to clarify... Pre-orders will be out yeah. soon. April 10th for pre-orders. So but that's not the only thing that got talked about today. Yeah, there not was a, a lot of, lot more new stuff today than I was really expecting. I expected it to be focused on the Apple Watch. But there are a few other new items today. Yeah, well, they had to fill up that hour and a half with something. They couldn't just show us all these molten metal videos. Or invite YouTube back to perform. <laughs> yeah. When they played that Foo Fighters song, and they're like, hey, Siri, what's this song? And I was thinking, oh, I hope they don't try to play a Nickelback song and then give that away to everybody. That's the last thing I want showing up in my iTunes. But the, the new MacBook, yeah. Yeah, and they spent quite a bit of time talking about that. And I have to admit, I, I would be tempted to get one. Uh, the only reason I wouldn't is the the RAM doesn't quite live up to the needs that, that I have for development. And you are a Swift developer, so you need a lot of CPU to compile your code. Yep. It's 8 gigabytes of RAM. That's the max you can get. Yep. That's the only amount. Yeah, that's right? the only option. There's not. I think all you can do is bump the hard drive and the processor. Nothing else is configurable. Other than well, the color. Also, it's also a 12-inch screen. You're not going to do an iPad storyboard on a 12-inch screen. Yeah, that would be difficult. But I plug into a 27-inch monitor, so the laptop size isn't really as much of an issue. Um, a 27-inch monitor that you will need an adapter for. Yes. I do like... The, the new color options, I, I have to admit, I wouldn't mind having a space gray MacBook. Oh, I thought you were going to say the gold one. <laughs> yeah, I would have pictured you getting a gold bling No, I, I shy away from the gold. It looked like it was blue and white to me. I don't know what you're talking about. But <laughs> well, the space gray and the gold one together look blue and white. Yeah. Yeah, it was... I think that's the USB-C connector is pretty interesting. I could see that making its way down into the rest of the, their line and having to buy more adapters. Everyone needs more adapters, but I mean, that port has all kinds of stuff on it. Yeah, talk about port overloading. But so is the Thunderbolt. Yeah. Just... But now it takes the two cables I have now for my power and display and combines it into one. So for people like me who plug into the external monitor, it would be pretty nice to be able to just plug one thing in um, and be ready to go. Yeah, in theory, I, I mean, you just take their adapter that has uh, like the video and the USB port on there and the power, and you hook that up to your hub, and you just have one one cord to connect. Even if you have like six or seven things plugged in, that does sound pretty cool to me. Because I put my laptop on my desk right now, and I'm counting one, two, three, four, five cables I have to plug in, which is pain in the butt. <laughs> I only got four. And that's but. with a hub, too, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
And it looks like the new USB-C is roughly equivalent to the Thunderbolt 3 in data throughput at oh. 5 gigabytes per so second. That, that should drive a 5K display, will it not? A Thunderbolt 2 won't, but... Wait, be- what? I think Thunderbolt 2 is like 20 gigabits a second. Is it equivalent to the to Thunderbolt 1, maybe? Well, no, USB 3 is... Isn't that 30 gigabits? Gigabits. This is gigabytes. Five gigabytes per second throughput. Oh, okay. We're showing our nerd fails right now. And I just looked it up, so I'm cheating. (laughs) Well, I just looked up USB 3 on Wikipedia, and it only says five gigabits. I wonder if someone just fat-fingered an uppercase B when they were (laughs) typing out the... Or or is that only for the USB 3C is 5 gigabytes? Well, I would think that a C would be, the, the new C connector would drive, would be faster than the, the standard USB 3. Is it USB 3.1? In the C? I don't, I don't know. What were you looking up, Alex, when you saw it? I was on the Wall Street Journal's website. Regardless, it, if it can drive a, if this USB-C can drive a display, it's at least the level of a Thunderbolt 2. Well, not necessarily, because it has VGI and HDMI. I've never, does it do DisplayPort as well? Oh. It may, even if it does DisplayPort, though, it may not be enough to drive even a 4K display. I think you need like 15 or 20 gigabits for that unless you're driving it at 30 hertz and nobody right. wants to see that yeah you don't want to do that but that one of the guys at work has a screen it's a nice large 28 inch dell but it's a low-end dell and that thing's that drives at 30 hertz even on DisplayPort, it's horrible okay you're correct that it's five gigabits uh, whereas some thunderbolt three is five gigabytes. Thunderbolt 3, okay, and that's not even out yet. There's no devices that, right? Right, only the twos, unless maybe in the rest of the laptop world. Yeah, that's possible. We don't, we, don't, we don't go outside the Apple world, though, so we don't <laughs> know about them. Yeah, maybe a Sony or something, but weren't they one of the first ones to have a Thunderbolt besides Apple? Seems like that could be. Although, they, do they even make laptops anymore? I thought they sold off that line of business. <laughs> yeah, I don't go outside that this world. <laughs> I think Thunderbolt was being championed by Intel. Mm-hmm. But yeah, not necessarily relevant to the the Apple uh, miniverse. So, speaking of USB C. It's it's that nice small reversible port. Do you think uh, lightning will ever go away in favor of it? iPhone 6s. You think it's going to have USB-C? <laughs> then we all have to buy new cables. Yeah, def- definitely could be. But the the lightning cable is still at least. I mean, it's hard to tell from the pictures, but it looks like the lightning still has a smaller profile, a thinner profile. So. I don't know. I, well, I think the one of the differences is, like, I think if you look at the end of the port, they're about the same size. 
but lightning has a, the thing that sticks out like the mail end that goes into the port yeah and the cable for usb c has like a female end so it's kind of like a usb cable that you have and i think the reason they did that is because it's cheaper to make that that part than it is to uh do what apple did for whatever reason and i've also heard that like it's a little bit more prone to damage being constructed like it is i think that's in my experience that's true with the micro usb ports or or cables yeah they yeah i mean they can get crushed or whatever and yeah i've seen a number of devices like that somebody jams it in upside down and now it's dead yeah so that's well there's no upside down issue anymore but right so easy to for something to fall on it or to get squished somehow yeah but the lightning ports they can always fall prey to pocket lint which yeah you, there's there's issues with both of them for sure yeah and when you take your device to the apple store and say it's not charging one of the first things they do is they grab their little paper clip and start digging in there to try to fish out any pocket lint yeah i'm just glad they didn't put a touch touch screen on this I was looking at that when they first when he first brought it out, and I thought, "Oh my, this looks a lot like an iPad." And at two pounds, it's probably not much heavier than what the iPad three weighs. Although they they did add the the Force Touch trackpad, which is kind of another interesting piece of technology in, in these devices. I was listening to some some live podcast right after it happened and had some people who actually were at the event and got to play around with stuff. And it sounds like, you know, with the Force Touch trackpads, and I'm assuming the watch is going to be like this too, you put your finger down on it and the trackpad doesn't actually move, but the vibration that it makes makes it feel like you're actually pressing the thing down, which sounds crazy. Because I think the people were like, oh, yeah, it just felt like a regular trackpad to me. But, uh, you know, the the people who are demoing it were basically like, oh, no, it's not actually moving. That's just the the force touch. So it sounds kind of intriguing me. I kind of want to try out this force touch stuff. Well, that would be the haptic sensor, the haptic feedback thing. Yeah. Not necessarily the force touch, right? I thought they were all connected. Maybe... Maybe they're different somehow. I'm not sure what the difference would be. I'm sure they go hand in hand, I guess. It's. it's I, I think maybe just the force touch is you pushing in more and getting more feedback potentially. Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, or maybe it's just a... Well, I wouldn't say it's a long press in disguise, but it's going to be interesting to see all these technology unsavvy people trying to figure out do i force touch it do i just touch it yeah i was actually kind of confused just like the examples they gave of the things you could force touch uh on the mac with like some of them are things that you command click for some of them you option click for right some of them are like things that you highlight and bring up i mean it, it seems like it's like a what is it like a quick look type thing so it seems like they're trying to do a lot with this force touch and at least at first it's definitely gonna confuse me because i'm used to doing all those things different ways maybe i'll get used to it right away i don't know yeah it seemed very much like a right click gimmick 
the marketing name, Force Touch. I, <laughs> I just get bad images in my head when I hear Force Touch. Uh, he Force Touched that. Yeah, they probably could have come up with something a little bit better. <laughs> uh, my kids have been watching, binge watching Star Wars, so that's where my mind goes is the Force. <laughs> That's probably a better place than Sam was going. Yeah, somehow you're a better person than me. So um. moving on from the, <laughs> the force touch, let's talk about the new scissor technology, Sam. <laughs> what, yeah. what are your thoughts on, on, on the keys? They don't move very much, I guess, from what I'm gathering. Okay, so how many of you were out there actually pushing on your keys as they were talking about how these things go up and down? Because I was sitting there hitting keys on my iPad or my MacBook going, well, that's not that bad. It's pretty even. Yeah, I I didn't quite get what the big deal with that was. Uh, it seems like Apple is very proud of, of what they've done, though. And I, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I kind of like, you know, to get lots of feedback from, from my keyboard and maybe on the edges, I guess, it gives you more feedback than if you used the old keyboards before, but... And I was just thinking, that person's a really bad touch typer. <laughs> Back to Apple showing that they're continuing to innovate you know, with the force touch and the, and the keys. It definitely seemed a little odd to spend so much time during a media event talking about a keyboard. Uh, but, you know, it it's shows that Apple's still focusing on the details and innovating in some areas. Yeah, and, you know, the, they'll probably, I guess I'm sure that this helps them put together a thinner notebook, right? These keys are probably much thinner underneath than the standard scissor ones. One of the guys at work has been experimenting with some of the old click keyboards, the DOS key keyboards, where they have the old uh, springs in them. And yeah, little, there's a name for those kind of switches. I forget what they're called. Cherry switches, or it sounds right, but like the old IBM keyboards were going for big money when they stopped making them. I think because people didn't want to lose their their super clickety clackety keyboards. <laughs> yeah, well, they're they're interesting because you don't have to really push down on them for the key to actuate. You just have to push in it enough. You hear a little click, mm -hmm. but if you push it in all the way, that's when you get the loud noise. So it's supposed to train you to type less hard. I know I kind of bang away on my laptop a little bit more than I feel like I should. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty hard on my keyboards too. You can you can definitely tell when I'm when I'm typing from the <laughs> other room. <laughs> so is there anything other anything else interesting about these uh these new MacBooks? No more glowing logo. That's a shame. Yeah. Which really makes it into kind of a hybrid between the the Airs and the MacBooks. Although they dropped the Air name. Yeah, so. I think that means that, they, I mean, they're both going away and they're give it a year or two and we're going to have the MacBook and the MacBook Pro again. Mm-hmm. But at least it won't be some plastic toilet seat cover looking thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are, are all the different colors the same price? 
that's a random question. I believe so. Okay, the, maybe it was just on the watch. I noticed there were some different prices for different colors, but <laughs> I was remembering back to the black MacBook that had like a $200 premium on it. Hmm. I definitely had one of those back in the day because it looked a lot more professional than my than a white MacBook. Oh, with the shiny plastic and stuff. Yeah, well, the white one was always the MacBook, right? And then they had the the Pro. Mm-hmm. Was that always aluminum? Yep. Okay. When they went from PowerBook to MacBook Pro. Yeah, that was always aluminum. Aluminum, but at one point they introduced uh, a plastic black matte. MacBook for a couple years that just basically was the exact same thing as white but cost $200 more. <laughs> so you can blend in with the Lenovo crowd. Right. <laughs> so the research kit stuff was neat. Although I think they should have called it Lab Rat Kit. Lab Rat Kit. Hmm. Yeah, because we're all lab rats. I really like the idea of this, of leveraging the platform to engage more people in medical research. Yeah, it's kind of like Waze, but for biometrics. And we work on a few health and wellness apps, so I could definitely see some tie-ins there. and Just being able to leverage the hundreds of millions of devices out there to collect more data to solve more problems. I like that Apple's investing money in, in things like that. Yeah, the Parkinson's one was interesting to me because the first thing I thought was, oh, you have to walk 20 steps in one direction and 20 steps back? That's a nice little sobriety test right there. So have you already downloaded the uh, Parkinson's app, Sam, <laughs> and tested it out? No. <laughs> we have a Coco Heads member that has done something similar with head trauma on for athletes in the field where they're able to get a, do an assessment of an athlete right then and there. And so do they have true. to take tests beforehand so they can get a baseline? Mm-hmm. I believe that's an yeah, option. He, he has mentioned that, yeah. But it, it was... I, I went through and did the tests and it it was definitely an interesting concept, and he's had a few hospitals engage him and, and use it in their research as well. So there definitely seems to be some opportunity in that space. Is he an indie dev? He actually did that as part of uh, his uh, degree as a research okay. project. Okay. That would be one of those ones that would be that would carry a high liability premium if you were to be an indie dev yeah and And in this case he's got professionals executing the test so it's it's less about the app and more about the facilitator yeah i think he had some doctors who were willing to like get it help him get it certified or two we'll see if we can get any more information about that and put it in the show notes yeah, I, I don't um, think he has anything online about it currently, but I know he was in conversations with hospitals. Sounds good. So, yeah, this seems like a pretty cool cool thing that will help get, you know, the medical industry into the 21st century. I know they've been getting pulled, kicking and screaming with all the 
regulations they have to deal with and all the security they have to worry about. But another kind of interesting thing to me uh, was the fact that this is another open source project that Apple does, and Apple doesn't do many of them. Um, I mean, sometimes they have to for their OS and stuff, but the last big open source project I remember Apple doing is WebKit, and I'd say that turned out pretty good for the industry. Uh, so it could be kind of cool what happens with this. Do you guys have any thoughts on it being open source? I, th I think it, this is interesting versus like some of their other open source projects like LLVM and WebKit, where this is more on the app side. And they don't have very much in that space. So I think you know just having more production quality examples out there for people to look at is a big help. But if it helps drive adoption as well, even better. Well, and the fact that they announced it as open source in such a public forum, to me, seems to signify a, a little more change in direction. They've been moving to a more open culture lately, which is great. And so I think if they open up further and maybe produce a open source Swift compiler that, you know, would make the language more relevant outside of the ecosystem, that would be a very big positive too. Yeah, I think all this is, you know, part of that more open culture. And I do wonder with the focus of Research Kit and the watch, if under Tim Cook's watch, there's more emphasis on health and wellness and, and improving people's lives in more than just gadgets. Yeah. Well, considering that their CEO succumbed early in life to a health problem, and there's a lot of health problems today affecting the rest of America, it's... It's both good for us and good for them. And it's good to see them reinvesting some of that cash they have in engineering power to, to improve on th things in these areas. Besides making a car. Yep. <laughs> so, Alex, Argo, you got trolled again this week. Yeah, I, I've been waiting for the, the Apple TV new new hardware to come out for a long time because I've got you know a bunch of other app, or TV products that are way faster than you know the, even the old third gen Apple TV like my Fire TV. Uh, I've got I forget a Fire Stick, Chrome Chromecast, um, yeah. and a Nexus player. Do you have one of those? I don't have one of those. Uh, but yeah, they they were like, all right, we got some exclusive content, which you know I assumed was what they were waiting for to launch their new Apple TV box, um, the HBO Now service. Uh, but they they brought up the picture of the TV and they started talking about. It. I'm like, all right, finally we got it, and we get a measly thirty dollar price drop on three year old hardware. Yeah, because I checked, March 2012 was the last time that. The Apple TV was released. The only, I guess, good thing that comes out of this to me is that potentially, maybe this just means they're clearing inventory to make way for whatever this new, new more powerful box with a updated OS is. I can only hope. That, that we'll be receiving in June? 
When's a good time for an Apple TV release? Is it close to the holiday season? Fall, perhaps, when all the new shows are coming out. Maybe they could get a yeah. Maybe they can get a a good deal with NFL for uh, Sunday Ticket or something like that too. I don't know. Showtime seems like fall's a good time. I think really about two years ago would have been the best time for a new <laughs> Apple TV. That would have been awesome. Yeah, that and the SDK, of course, but. Yeah, still wait for that. Yeah, all the rumors still steam, seem to say that it will be you know a whole new OS with new SDK and all that stuff. And there's no sign of that. We just keep getting more channels that are a pain to manage on your Apple TV. <laughs> I I don't know the last time I turned my Apple TV on. I, th- I think it was to watch Game of Thrones on a borrowed HBO Go account. And we use ours daily. We cut the cable, and that's pretty much our only option for watching TV now. Yeah, I mean, we still use mine a lot, but the bugs are becoming more and more frequent. And uh, I switched from even using the iTunes home media server because I used to automate a bunch of stuff to get TV shows that I recorded with my um, Elgato iTV uh, and my HD Home Run. and home the, the iTunes stuff just stopped working. You'd have to reboot it every day or two to actually watch content, and it's yeah, it's just been horrible. Hmm. Did you switch over to Plex? Yeah, I, I switched over to Plex, um, and that seems a lot more reliable. Uh, are you doing the? The home sharing stuff too, Alex? You said yours was working well? Yeah, I've got the similar setup with Elgato ITV. uh, I think when iTunes gets updated or if the computer's not on Wi-Fi, it gives me some trouble. But for the most part, I've got it up and running and reasonably reliable. You said when the computer is not on Wi-Fi, it gives you trouble? Yeah, it has to be on Wi-Fi or I can't do the sharing. So if I've got it hardwired... It it doesn't work. Yeah, see, that's been my problem is because when I moved into my house, I got Cat6 run to, like, all the rooms. So all of my Apple TVs are wired. Um, all of my computers are wired, too. So it, it seems like I'm getting worse worse uh, performance because I'm wired instead of wireless, which seems yeah. really backwards. But I, I have heard that. I don't know if it was from you or from someone else, but from multiple places, I think, which is really kind of backwards and crazy i don't understand why but yeah as best i can tell it doesn't work over ethernet it has the home sharing seems to require the wi-fi to be turned on i mean it still works most of the time when it's ever everything's hardwired but it's like it you know once or twice a day i just have to reboot everything so maybe i just need to unplug everything and see if things start working better maybe i think with the last update of itunes i haven't been able to get the ethernet sharing to work hmm. that's crazy so so that was pretty much it right for the event nothing nothing else to talk about Only 10, yeah, thousand about other things <laughs> so that watch 18 hours is that enough for you guys it it 
with the rumors saying five hours of continuous play, um, you know, I, I feel a lot better about the 18 hours. It's probably less than I would like, but better than what the late rumors were suggesting. Yeah, I mean, it's essentially charging it at night every day, which I think that's what we've been expecting since the beginning anyways. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so you'll wake up, you'll shower and things, and then on your way out, you'll grab the watch off the charger, use your magnetic band to slap it on your wrist, and 18 hours later, you're going to have to drop it on the charger. I think there's already a few Kickstarter projects out there to charge it with the band on and, and a few other ideas. But A Mophie pack for your watch. <laughs> I'm sure it's coming. Why not? Oh, because I need to make my watch even bigger on my wrist. Yeah. I mean, I have my, my pebble, and it, I mean, it can go three, four days, even longer if I don't use it that much. And it's, it's going to be hard going to, you know, the charge every night thing because I don't always do it. And although the issue with that kind of is since it's not regular on that sixth or seventh day, I put my watch on and I'm like, oh, it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the nice things about or the health benefits of the watch is that it's going to track your heart rate and everything. And it's good to know how well you slept, too. And that's not going to happen. Yeah, it's a shame that we won't have any type of sleep tracking. Um, the, there's some apps for Pebble that, that do it, but none of them really do it very well. I, I suspect that even if they had the battery, you know, it could last overnight or something like that, and you could still charge it. Like, the data you get back just from a, a watch isn't super reliable. And it seems like most of the offerings right now in, that, in the Spark, smartwatch space don't really seem like they would do well for sleep monitoring. It's just they're too bulky. So maybe a second or third generation will be slimmer. I don't know if the slimness is, is the thing that's going to stop us because I think the Apple Watch is smaller than my Pebble. and I mean, I wear that to sleep all the time. It's whatever you're comfortable with and what yeah, you're used true. to. Yeah. yeah. So... I don't think there was anything really new from a functionality standpoint that they haven't already mentioned with the Apple Watch. I was kind of disappointed by that. It's like we made you sit through an hour of other stuff, although some of that stuff was kind of cool, and then they basically just spent 20 or 30 minutes doing the exact same thing with a slide at the end that said, here's how much this would cost, here's yeah. how much that one cost, <laughs> and we're not even going to put it on the slide how much the watch edition, the Apple Watch edition costs. So, Yeah, yeah. so they answered the three big questions. How long will the battery life be on the device? How much is it going to cost? Which, you know, starting at 349 is what we expected. Now we know the upper bound of... Well, do we even know the upper bound? We know that it starts at 10,000, right? For the Apple Watch the edition, gold. the upward bound is seventeen thousand yeah. for a watch and a band. Okay. Wow. They they did put like after the store came back up, there is some pricing pages where you could see how much an individual band would be, um, as well as what what bands were available and all that 
kind of stuff. So it was kind of annoying with the keynote. You were like, come on, I, I need to know more information. But there is a lot more information if you look at the actual Apple Watch store page, not the normal apple.com slash watch page. So I know there were rumors all over the place, but is that what you were expecting in terms of price for the, the high-end Apple Watch edition? 10000 No. Uh, when I first heard 10000 I thought, wow, that's a lot. Maybe yes. And then I listened to some other podcasts, and they kind of rationalized how it could be cheaper. Although I was thinking, well, at least the other podcasts, they were rationalizing. Gold is about $1,000 an ounce, so you'd need probably at least an ounce to build the watch. And then with standard Apple markup, you were probably looking at 5000 But typical Apple, whenever you think that there's a normal price for something, they push the bar. Well, I think they also kind of dangled that carrot of limited quantities. So for the folks that are going to buy this as a status symbol, to know that they're going to be one of a few people to have it, I, I think they, they probably have an audience there. It's not us, but there's mm -hmm. probably one out there. Well, yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, the, the Sport Edition and maybe, I'm not even sure about the regular Apple Watch, but the, it seems like the Sport Edition is targeted towards your traditional, I say traditional with air quotes because it hasn't been around that long, smartwatch users, but the Apple Watch Edition is not targeted at those people. It's targeted at the people who buy, you know, $10,000, $20,000 Rolex watches and, you know, all the other expensive traditional watches. Heirloom watches. Yeah. But this is definitely far from an heirloom watch. I, well, what I mean, maybe the second version of Apple Watch, this goes away, and you had one of the only Apple Watch editions. <laughs> Although, I can't imagine Apple would be like, oh, we were making too much money on this thing, so we're just going to stop doing it. Thanks for financing know. our car project, guys. Yeah. See, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I could see somebody like Stephen Colbert wearing the gold watch on TV. But they might give it to him for that. I don't know. Yeah. Or Donald Trump. So I was, I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are on the, maybe I'll call them the watches that us normal people can buy. Like, would you even think about, like, buying the $600 regular Apple Watch? Or is, is it the, the sport edition or nothing for you guys? <laughs> it's probably nothing for me. Yeah. So I will probably end up getting one, but it'll be the sports edition. And a lot of that's because it's a first gen. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I'd save the money for the second gen um, before I would get the 600 plus range of the watch. Yeah. Well, and I wonder if you get the the second edition with a nice band, maybe if, or the regular Apple Watch with a nicer band, you can reuse the band on the next one. But Yeah, and I think that's probably some of the rationale, even with the higher-end Apple Watch edition, is that band yeah. will carry from version to version, maybe. Yeah. Although, I don't know about you guys, I can hardly tell the difference between the aluminum or the, the stainless steel. I mean, they don't look that different to me. Is it durability? You know, what's, what's the big... 
Or well, is there's it... definitely the sapphire screen yeah. on the. There's yeah, there's that. And I, th- I think there may be like maybe a different finish on it. Like maybe it looks it's brushed or something differently. But I mean, I don't even know if I could tell the difference just by glancing at someone's watch, seeing it out in the wild. Maybe that'll change when they come out, but. I'm sure there'll be a slight tone difference. Maybe some the steel one will have more shine to it. I like the look of that black one. The black steel. Uh, Tim's, Tim was wearing just a simple white band. Uh, so, like, he's not even wearing the, the high end. He might have one of those, too, but <laughs> I think that's kind <laughs> of telling that he wasn't Showing off the the ten thousand dollar watch, he's gonna appear like the everyman. Yep. One thing that's kind of interesting, real quick, um, is if you look at the prices, like on their on their page, the the black stainless steel is a hundred dollars more than the regular stainless steel. <laughs> so they've they've added the black tax back in on, on this watch. It's nine ninety nine if you want the regular stainless steel and 10.99 if you'd like the black stainless <laughs> well it is a special coating that they add on top yeah well scratch off like it does on the iphone 5s <laughs> <laughs> i sure hope not <laughs> that would be rough yeah. so we've got a date for the pre-order of april 10th and when did they say you could go in the store and, and, and look at them in person? I thought it was around that same time. Yeah, I think you'll be able to, to schedule an appointment to look at the watch. And then they're actually going to be shipping on the 24th. I don't know, guys. I've gone from, wow, this is awesome. I can't wait to put this shackle on my wrist to, well, it is a shackle. And... Now and then I went back thinking, oh well, I could kind of like that, and now I'm back to I'm not sure. I probably won't like it. Yeah, I don't think I was as excited with this event about the watch itself. I think some of the other things, perhaps because they were more uh, new topics than you know more novel than the watch at this point. Uh, but I do think with the demos, they did a better job of showing practical experiences with it. Where the last one, the demos were kind of these arbitrary things that you may or may not do. So they kind of walk through real-life experiences of opening up the garage door for your kids to get into the house or uh, unlocking your hotel room door. Uh, so I could definitely see where it may be more practical now looking at it that way than when they first announced it so i might get some use out of it but i was kind of hoping to hear something new about the watch yeah they definitely didn't hold anything back during the announcement the first announcement so i'm I'm curious you guys watched those app demos that they showed off with like the Uber and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do those look like they were able to be done with regular watch kit or do you think they were using the super secret watch kit that some of the other companies got? 
I don't think I saw anything that couldn't be done. I think the biggest question early on was with the hotel room door unlocking it. I think a lot of people thought it was going to be NFC, which we don't have access to typically or in the, in the current version as developers. But I think later on people found out it was just using the low energy Bluetooth. If that's still true, then then I, I think it's probably just the same watch kit SDK that the rest of us have. Yeah, the other one was the garage door opener one. They had a live video feed, but it looks like it's like literally updating with an image once, you know, every second or something like that. It wasn't very Yeah, it wasn't high fluid, rate. yeah. So, yeah, it, it, it was kind of like a old-school security footage or something. <laughs> well, the, the Uber app, though, that showed the, the car kind of moving along the map in real time, right? I didn't... I, it said the distance, I but didn't I didn't notice if, yeah. the, if it was moving on the map or not. Everything I've heard before is... It's the, the map in the WatchKit app itself is static and you can go to the maps but at that point you can't really drop a pen or anything on top of that you, you don't have control over the maps at that point right I'll have to go back and look at that video and, and mm. check it out yeah. it's definitely going to be interesting to see not only the apps that people come up with but is there really a market for this I think up until now, the smartwatches have still been a fairly niche kind of early adopter gadget market. So will Apple manage to bring the smartwatch into the mainstream? And what will it do to the other players like Pebble? Yeah, there were, there were a lot of fire sales on Android watches this past holiday season. I hope that hasn't ruined people's taste for a smartwatch. And on Android, or with some of those manufacturers, it's let's try and get something out to market as fast as possible as opposed to taking the time to get it right. Yeah, there have been some new ones that have come out recently, like I think at Mobile World Congress, uh, it was Huawei, you know, the, the people who make the cheap Android phones, they came out with a $1,000 um, round Android Wear watch that unlike the Moto 360, has a completely round face, and apparently it was a big hit at Mobile World Congress, although that's a bunch of rich people who can afford to go to Spain for a mobile conference. So, <laughs> Well, LG has their LG R as well. I think that's around 300. I've heard good things about the LG watches. Most of the others, it sounded like they were a little bit too early in the market. The first LG watch, I think, was the one that was corroding people's skin. Certain people were having reactions to it okay. because the power was that, always on. So. <laughs> yeah, well, it had the power on, always on, on one of the sensors, and so it was actually hurting people's skin and rubbing it raw. Hmm. But I believe that was fixed in a firmware update. <laughs> well, it just had to turn off the power okay. to the sensor. I'm like, they fix, they fix the, the skin, no, yeah. whatever. I, think, I don't think it was a sensor. I think it was the actual power connection. Okay. Hmm. 
So leading up to this event, Pebble was also running a, a Kickstarter project for the new Pebble Time. Have you guys taken a look at that? I have not. Uh, I've, I'll, I'll call myself a smartphone enthusiast. Uh, I, I backed the original Pebble, so I was kind of intrigued by the Pebble Time. And it's actually kind of cool. It, it still will last for like seven days and has a color e-ink display. Um, so the display is always on and is color. Um, it's not as high resolution as the Apple Watch. And it can't update as fast, although you can't update many things with their SDK as fast. But, yeah, it looks looks like a cool watch. It seems like Pebble's now targeting Android users more. Like, most of their updates to their latest SDK have been focused on Android because I think they are kind of giving up the, the Apple market. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting that their goal was half a million dollars for the Kickstarter project, and they've already raised over 17 million. So I, I think Apple's helped draw some interest in the smartwatch area, and you know, I don't know how that compares to the last Kickstarter they did, but you know, to raise 17 million dollars and still have several days to go, um, I think it's telling that there's some interest there. Yeah, there is. It's kind of interesting that they actually even did a Kickstarter because normally it's people who aren't, you know, established companies. Uh, and if you, I just divided like the five hundred thousand initial goal by their price, and that's like twenty five hundred watches they need, which doesn't sound like a glaring success uh, for what their original goal was. But it seems like they definitely. I think it was smart of them to do uh, the Kickstarter because, you know, one, they got uh, a lot of press about it. It's the highest, uh, I think, achieving Kickstarter project ever at this point with the $17 million it's raised. Uh, and, I, um, and I think Pebble's done really well as far as smartwatches go. You know, they, they're fairly cross-platform and... Most people I've talked to that have a Pebble still wear them. Yeah. I mean, they're really nice. Uh, I I think I read some other reasons why they did the Kickstarter, too. One interesting one was I think they get a better better deal even with the discounted Kickstarter price than they do when they're in Best Buy or, you know, any of those big box stores based on the cut that the retailer takes and on the, like, payment processing. So it's actually, they make more money per watch if they sell it on Kickstarter, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> Interesting. Well, it's, it's a big pre-order scam, essentially, <laughs> right? Uh, and, you know, to that, you know, the, the price, the list price is 199 or starts at 199 and I think on Kickstarter, yeah. It's well, going to be 250 I think, in the stores. No, I, I think they said 199 for list, and then the backers... Price oh, starts at one fifty nine, so that's the cheapest. Okay, yeah, you're right. The cheapest you can back it at is one fifty nine and get a watch. Mm -hmm. uh, so you certainly can spend more backing it, but that's your starting point, which is a lot cheaper than the Apple Watch or any of the Google Wear offerings, as far as I know. And with a seven day battery life too, it's it's a compelling offering. Now, is it a touch screen? 
No, there's no touch screen. It's okay. you basically have a couple buttons on the side that you control things with. There's no crown or anything along those lines. Yeah. It's, um, it's a, a a dumbed down user experience, but probably meets the needs for most people. Yeah, I mean, like I use it. I use mine all the time. It's a great great smartwatch for whatever that's worth. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, it's not normally. It's not something you want to interact with a bunch. It's more you get information that information that radiates from it yeah and I, and I I think the Apple watch will be the same way too I don't know yeah and, and I've heard several times people say that with the watch you want to measure interactions in seconds versus the phone where you're measuring it in minutes so you definitely think about the experience in a different way and maybe when I have like a digital crown and I have force touch, Maybe I'll want to interact with my watch more, but it, it doesn't seem like a thing that I want to be messing around with a bunch. I don't want to do a lot yeah. of data entry or anything <laughs> like that, yeah, you, although Siri is nice to do that, which the Pebble doesn't have either. Yeah, you're not going to do web browsing and reading books on your watch, especially when you have your phone in your pocket. Yeah, they keep showing the demo of of browsing pictures on your watch, and I just don't get it. It does not compute with me. Or reading email. I mean, a short, yeah. maybe. I could see reading email, just like a quick A thing. short one, but if it's like a MailChimp, HTML formatted email, I, I think that, that'll be pretty awful. <laughs> don't you guys line. just, like, delete those when you get those? <laughs> I try to un- unsubscribe as much as possible. Yeah. Occasionally I get some that, that are good, like uh, iOS Dev Weekly, which is not MailChimp, but, you know, that's one, one of those types of emails that I look forward to. Yeah, but uh, you know it's interesting. I heard on another podcast somebody mentioned that looking at your watch is one of the rudest gestures in in a group setting. So, what do you guys think about that? I think that got replaced by the cell phone. You know, pulling out your cell phone in the middle of a conversation so, is kind of rough. Yeah, it's a little bit more rude, but I think people have gotten accustomed to it. Well, I think when you look at your cell phone, maybe people might tolerate that you you just received a text message or something like that. But I have to admit, when I at, at dinner with people or lunch with people who have smartwatches and they look at their watch a few times during lunch, my immediate reaction is, you know, are you bored? Do you have something better to do <laughs> than to have lunch with us? But um, so. There's that whole social aspect of interacting with the watch. Yeah, and maybe it'll just be pulling people away from their phone or pulling people away from actual human interaction more often than a phone would. Yeah, I think it's interesting that I think the the smartwatch kind of cannibalizes some of the use of my my phone it's it's weird because Apple always is one of the companies that's willing to cannibalize their other products, although I'm guessing most people aren't really thinking about that with a watch yet. But, oh. I mean, that's part of the reason I have my, my 6 Plus. I, it's bigger. It's kind of more of a pain to get out, but now I can get a lot of more of that information just from glancing at my watch. Yeah. And they're not cannibalizing their sales because you still have to have the phone in your pocket right. in order for it to get any meaningful functionality. Although that's with Gen 1. Who knows with Gen 4 if they're not going to have right. 
GPS and cellular and all that stuff, right. so that may be where they're going. So instead of buying your $300 subsidized phone, you can buy your $10,000 unsubsidized watch. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like a great idea. Yeah, it's a, that's a business plan right there. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> wow. Well, I think we've uh, beat to death this uh, spring event. What do you guys think? I think it was a good event. Lots of good announcements. Looking forward to getting my hands on a watch and seeing what it's like to actually live with one. Also looking forward to checking out the new MacBooks and research kit and some of the other things. I'm not going I've set a rule for myself that I'm not going to buy the watch until I have an app to make for the watch. So until I've got something that I want to put on the watch, I'm not going to buy the Gen 1. I'll see you about Gen 2. Well, so let me ask you about that a little bit. Um, if you wanted to make a lot of money in the iPhone Gold Rush, it wasn't, you know, iOS, you know, 4 or 5 when people would kind of establish, oh, yeah, these smartphone things aren't going away. There's lots of money to be made. It's if you got in right at the beginning. So do you feel like you're, this will be different than that? Or, like, why? Well, why wait? If Apple is saying that it'll be the next gold rush, which they, I believe, some of their executives, or at least one of them, has said in interviews, if somebody's going to tell you that it's a gold rush, I don't think it's a gold rush. I think without the native SDK, it'd be hard to created an app that would have a high price point, but uh, I, I think there will be some folks that have apps out there early that make a decent amount of money by being there first. And just from a market attention standpoint, being, in, being out there early will get you more notice than, than waiting three months. Yeah, and there's not really even a direct way to monetize an Apple Watch app, you have to have an existing iPhone app, and I'm pretty sure they they said you can't like. There's no way to only enable it if you've done an in-app purchase or something along those lines. So you can enhance the functionality if you have an in-app purchase, but there's not a direct way to monetize it even yet. Yeah, most of my clients that are t talking to us about watch apps, it's mostly to augment the apps that they have now and, and possibly get some media attention for their apps, mm -hmm. as well as just general value to their customers. Yeah, so for now, um, I'm adopting a wait-and-see approach. Okay. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how, how to make a bunch of money off of it yet either, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe if I figure it out, I'll, I'll get that watch app out there. Maybe it is just like a help in marketing your existing app for now, which, you know, anybody could use for sure. Yeah. I would have to imagine the people who have their keyboard extensions on day one, at least the good ones, or the ones that got noticed. Those folks probably made a decent amount of money for a short period of time until there were 10 or 20 others just like it. Well, even then, they, they probably are still the one that it gets the most money out of the like ones because they have the most like search voodoo built up and yep. 
There's always yeah, value. David Smith, I think, is, is one of the folks to pay attention to in terms of being there early and, and yeah. taking advantage of that. Right. Yeah, we'll see what he comes out with. Could blow us all away, and then we'll all be wishing we had done something like he did. Yeah. yeah. Although his stuff might just get Sherlocked by Apple again. They took his, <laughs> his keyboard extension and Sherlocked it, so... <laughs> All right. I think that's probably good for tonight. Yeah. All right. So how about uh, telling us, telling the world where they can find you guys? Argo? Uh, you can find me at Alex Argo on Twitter. And I'm AJ Robinson on Twitter. And I'm Sam Porter on Twitter. Twitter.